My name is Rachel Chenault, and I am the director of the ACCP PBRN. Today I'm joined by four individuals for a discussion about their experiences working with the network. In a moment, I'm going to ask each one of them to briefly introduce themselves and their research and or practice areas. But our panelists today are Heather Anderson from the University of Colorado, Denver, Nathan Painter from the University of California, San Diego, Kayla Stover from the University of Mississippi, and Nicole Acquisto from the University of Rochester Medical Center. Heather, would you care to go first? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Heather Anderson. I'm an assistant professor here at the School of Pharmacy um, in Colorado in the Department of Clinical Pharmacy. I'm one of the few non-pharmacists. I am actually a pharmacoepidemiologist, and I'm in the Center for Pharmaceutical Outcomes Research. My main specific research interest is in the effective use of pharmacological treatments for patients with depression and other mental health disorders with a particular emphasis on patients being treated in primary care. Um, more broadly, um, I've become interested in um, medication tolerability and adherence and research that focuses on um, developing and assessing methods or tools to really identify patients at risk for medication non-adherence and adverse health outcomes related to taking their medications. Thank you, Heather. Nathan? Hi, I'm Nathan Boehner. I'm an associate clinical professor at UC San Diego School of Pharmacy, uh, and my clinical practice is in ambulatory care at a family medicine clinic uh, where I do a variety of disease management, uh, including diabetes education and anti-coag. Um, and um, my research interest has mostly been actually through the PBRN and some other local small studies that have involved medication safety, prescription drug abuse, diabetes, um, and some um, other issues surrounding safe disposal of medications. Um, yeah. Thank you, Nathan. Kayla. Hi. Um, like she said, my name is Kayla Stover. I am an associate professor at the University of Mississippi um, with a practice site at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. I am a full-time School of Pharmacy faculty member, but I practice at the Medical Center, so my research interests kind of span both of those realms. I like anything that has to do with teaching and education, but my practice is all within infectious diseases, so I do a lot around that realm, especially antimicrobial stewardship and antifungal agents. Thank you, Kevin, uh, Kayla. And Nicole? Hi. Um, Thank you. I'm an emergency medicine clinical pharmacist at the University of Rochester Medical Center. Um, I'm a little bit different than my colleagues in that I'm employed by the hospital um, as the emergency medicine clinical pharmacist. I also have a secondary appointment with the Department of Emergency Medicine as an assistant professor, and I have an interest in research. Um, I focus a lot on um, research in the emergency department with the pharmacist um, and improvement in, in outcomes. Thank you, Nicole. So now that uh, we've introduced all of our panelists to our audience, I'd like to start our discussion by asking each of you to take a, a second and tell our audience about an opportunity where you collaborated with the network. Um, Heather, would you like to start? Maybe tell us a little bit about what the opportunity was, uh, how you found out about it, and why did it interest you initially for your engagement uh, with the network? Sure, excuse me. Um, yeah, so this is actually a, a fairly recent opportunity. Um, one of my colleagues here at the University of Colorado, Wilson Pace, 
um, has collaborated with the PBRN in the past and with me being an ACCP member. I think that's how my name came to the PBRN's attention in the first place and then Wilson you know, said, hey, I know her. And so I was approached by Wilson and Rachel about writing a grant with them essentially. And it was in a topic area that I was um, very interested in um, and really taking a tool that could be used by clinical pharmacists in primary care practices to essentially risk stratify their patients and help better identify those patients at a higher risk of adverse events. So we decided to um, forge ahead with that collaboration. We did submit an R18 together to AHRQ in September of 2016 with me as the PI and with um, Rachel Chenault as a co-investigator along with um, Wilson Pace as a co-investigator. And it was just a, a really incredible grant writing experience having um, written a grant, a large grant, well, not super large, to AHRQ before I um, wrote and um, was given uh, funding for an R21 about four years ago from AHRQ, and I really was flying by the seat of my pants when I wrote that grant. And writing this grant was a much different experience because of the collaboration through the PBRN. Uh, one really key thing was having a PBRN project manager on the project, um, knowing that person um, would know the ins and outs um, of working with the PBRN was very helpful when we were writing the grant. And also having the PBRN practice sites um, show their interest in the project and having Rachel's hard work in tracking them down and explaining the project to them and getting feedback from them really allowed us um, to get that engagement from the practices that will hopefully be enrolling in the study before we even submitted the grant. And that resulted in 21 letters of support for our submission, which I thought was pretty incredible. Um, so it was just a really great experience, and we actually found out today that the grant will be reviewed in February. So very excited to find out what happens. As are we. <laughs> Thank you, Heather. Yeah. Um, Nathan, same question. Uh, just can you tell us a little bit about the, an opportunity where you've worked with us, how you found out about it, and what initially spurred your interest? Sure. Uh, first, I do want to say congratulations because I was one of the letters of support for that grant. So I'm also <laughs> very much looking forward to that. Um, but my first experience with the PBRN came, um, I don't want to say as a surprise, but kind of as an accident. Um, I joined the research committee um, of a um, ACCP back in, I think, 2009, which uh, turned into the initial com community advisory panel um, for the PBRN, uh, which is just a panel of clinicians and academics as part of the um, that not necessarily oversees, but kind of helps with the direction of the PBRN, and um, I think has since even morphed into slightly different roles. Um, but it's, but so I essentially served as uh, on the cap for the first three years of it being around, um, and was able to be um, somewhat involved in that early, um, the, the very first study of the PBRN, which was a descriptive study of its participants. So um, it was very much not purposeful, um, but it's been nice to kind of see um, the beginning of the PBRN from the ground level. Uh, and then as the years have gone by and as different studies have been recruiting and different opportunities have come, I've been able to um, help review applications. Um, I've been able to just talk with the staff and talk about different ideas um, and different opportunities. Uh, but I'm always looking out for the emails that come from Rachel and you know the PBRN office, looking for recruiting, um, and have participated in the pneumococcal study that was completed about a year or two ago, um, and some other um, 
uh, pretty much anything that I think fits within my my clinical practice, um, I look forward and try to engage and be part of. So as a, thank you, Nathan. As a follow-up to that, um, you mentioned emails. What what sort of things are you looking for when when a email hits your desk from the PVRN? What as you scan it, what are what are you looking for to see? Is this something that you might be interested in participating in? I think for me, because I, I even though I do I would consider myself a diabetes specialist, I do tend to because it's in family medicine, have leaned more towards a generalist. Try to find things that can. Um, that could be fairly broad um, and that obviously fit into ambulatory care. And the other part of it, it needs to obviously sit with my interest and in something that I do, something that I don't have to do extra work for, to do extra work together to seek out different patients. It's, you know, I, I at least have a group of patients that I can potentially um, look at. And um, um, yeah, so clinical interest, can't ha doesn't can't have too much impact I think on my daily practice um, and um, obviously fit within ambulatory care. So. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Kayla. Same question to you. What's an opportunity where you've collaborated with the network? How you found out a bit about it and why it interested you? Well, I actually was part of one of the early studies with the um, PBRN as well, the MedApp study. Um, the way I got involved in that is that it was shortly after I started in clinical process, uh, in my clinical practice, and I was just looking for ways to get involved, and it was something that I had access to, um, kind of like was mentioned previously. I didn't have to do a ton of extra work on it, and it was something I could be involved in. So that was my first opportunity. So when I had my own idea, it seemed logical to follow up with the PBRN and see if I could get you guys to help me. Um, so I, for my idea, I wanted something that I needed more power than what I have access to just at my center, so I really wanted a multi-center study. And so my mentor at the time had suggested that I contact Rachel and get the PBRN involved to determine if my study was doable, if it was possible, and if they thought a multi-center study was the right method for this. So that's kind of how I started out. Um, I found out about it through an email because I've been an ACCP member longstanding, and um, what spurred my interest in this was the possibility to achieve a lot with a lot of experts already in place that I didn't have to necessarily organize myself, that I could have people, mentors, um, senior members that had done this before to make a multi-center study very reasonable and doable and feasible in the amount of time that I had to, to get it done. So where we are right now with that is that I have submitted the idea and the grant to the company, and I'm just waiting to hear back from them on whether that is something that will be funded or not. Excellent. We're looking forward to hearing that as well. Thank you, Kayla. All right, and Nicole, same question to you. An opportunity that came up that's interested you, maybe tell a little bit about why it interested you, either scientifically or clinically. Sure. So I originally found out about the PBRN at the ACCP annual meeting, and I felt that the PBRN um, was a good way to get, similar to how, how Kayla mentioned, was a good way to get exposure to multi-center research, but without necessarily um, being the main PI on the project. 
Um, so it seemed beneficial for me to get involved with the PBRN, that it would have a minimal time commitment, and I'd be able to really learn the process of how to do multi-center research. Um, I also participated in the um, MedApp study um, and was able to participate as the site PI. We also recruited participants at our institution and were able to involve um, the residents in that as well. And I think a lot of the benefit of the PBRN that I've had um, is through some of these these multi-center um, opportunities, and I've been able to pull in other colleagues to complete feasibility studies um, and try to involve them in some of the opportunities with the PBRN and also um, our residents as well as there's been some resident-focused um, projects that have gone through the PBRN. Um, and I've actually learned a lot being a part of the group um, from participating in these activities. And also, um, most recently, I'm working with the PBRN and with Rachel on um, developing a, a protocol evaluating anaphylaxis and treatment in the emergency department. Um, and I've also been introduced to preparatory to research activities through that project. Thank you, Nicole. And you, you mentioned feasibility assessments, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. I wanted to follow up with, um, with you all on that as too. So, as you know, feasibility assessments are a way that the PBRN can, prior to initiating or accepting a, a project, uh, reach out into our network, our over 1,000 clinical pharmacists who belong to the network across the United States, and get some initial feedback on how feasible or practical it would be to conduct the, the study that's being asked of us through our network. So, can we get the right kinds of uh, targeted patient numbers uh, to be enrolled or the numbers of uh, exposures to medications that the PI is interested in. So that's from, from our perspective, that's the, the, the function of the feasibility assessment. And I, I wanted to follow up and ask both Nicole and uh, Nathan, because I know that you have participated in some of these as well, is from, from your end as a person participating in, and helping out with these feasibility assessments, what um, what has that process been like? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the time commitment, what's asked of you, um, and how easy or difficult you found um, the feasibility assessments that you've completed with us? Nicole, would you start? Sure. Um, so I think that you know one of the great things about the the PBRN is that um, the tools are very easy to use. So I found that in completing feasibility surveys that have been sent, or most recently in our anaphylaxis um, protocol, we did. Um, just a, a quick data collection, um, just a 10-patient data collection. And what I found that's really helpful is that the tools are already developed um, for that, and the surveys are easy to follow um, to be able to complete those activities. Nathan? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't know if I have anything additional. I mean, I think the time commitment for the feasibility is pretty pretty minimal. Um, and um, um, yeah, the data entry isn't isn't complicated at all and is pretty clear and straightforward. Thank you both. Now, now Kayla, on the investigator side of things, we've worked with you on, a, on conducting a feasibility assessment for one of the projects that you're collaborating with us on. As the PI, can maybe you, you provide us with some feedback on what that experience has been like and, and what having those kinds of feasibility data um, do for you? Yeah, absolutely. So what we did was we uh, had a conference call with several of the PBRN um, leadership and um, collaborators, and we kind of discussed through our project and explained what we wanted to do. And the PBRN, um, Rachel predominantly, but the PBRN staff put together kind of a questionnaire for us and then send it to us for approval. 
after that, we sent it, well, the P. Barron sent it out to the entire listserv to, of ACCP to see if people would be interested. So we asked questions that were relevant to our study, such as what equipment do you use to monitor for these effects? How big is your institution? Which drug of these four is on formulary? Um, things that would help us to know whether we would have the numbers needed. And then we got a report back once, uh, once everyone had responded to the emails that gave us that information. What we were able to do with that then is compile it into a list of, um, you know, X percent used option one, X percent used option two, and that way we were able to use that as um, kind of like I think Heather said earlier, she had letters of support. I had feasibility results to share with my funding agency to say, look, I have the ability to do this. Here are the number of sites that had this, this, and this as options. So we have three different arms to our study and plenty of sites in each arm, and they all use the same equipment or we use these two different types of equipment. And so it really provided ammunition for my funding agency to kind of prove that I have the capability to do those studies. Um, the way that that has played out over the past year or so that we've been working on this is that each time they come back and ask me questions, most of the questions I have either were already in that feasibility request or are things that I email Rachel and she provides me with an answer pretty quickly to get back to them. So the way that that has imp been impactful for me so far is that it gives me the background to be able to answer questions and to kind of prove that we can do it before we get asked that. Thank you, Kayla. Um, that actually leads into the next question that I have for uh, both you and Heather now that you've collaborated with us on some uh, grant proposals to various um, funding agencies. I'd like to hear um, or have you tell our audience a little bit about the types of support, aside from the, the letters of support and the um, the feasibility assessment uh, that you kind of touched on already, um, the types of support that you received from the PBRN, uh, its staff, and then how that impacted your experience specifically in the uh, grant preparation process. Heather, would you start? Sure, yeah. I think besides the letters of support, it was really helpful to get the budget started, or I actually I should say have the budget started um, for me. Um, it was incredibly helpful because it was really you, Rachel, and then um, the staff that you have there at the PBRN that really had your fingers on the pulse of what types of costs we needed to include, how those, um, how everything would get paid. Um, you know, and it would bounce back and forth a lot. Even just putting the budget together almost helped us design the study better because it really helped us visualize exactly how things would happen. So I think the budget side of it was incredibly helpful for us as well. Um, and then just having um, the PBRN act as really that go-between between the University of Colorado and the the, uh, the uh, for-profit company that we would be working with, Tabula Rasa Healthcare, and all of the different practices in the PBRN. Um, it's, it's, it's just much more streamlined. It saves a lot of time. It, I think it cuts back on a lot of miscommunication. Um, and so, and all of those things were a benefit on the front end as far as writing the grant, and there'll be an even bigger benefit once the grant is funded and we're actually carrying it out. Thank you, Heather. Kayla? Um, I, several of the things are similar to what Heather said, but um, I did a couple of different things. So certainly having um, help with the budget was tremendously, tremendously beneficial. 
but uh, the PBRN for me was a consultant less than a go-between for the actual granting agency, but it was very helpful to have the consultant work there as a, these things are feasible and this is why and here's the staff that will be there. So the things that I have, uh, the interactions that I have had that have been beneficial, we've gone back and forth several times on questions like, who should be involved with this, what would need to be happen, what needs to happen with this to make it a little bit more feasible. But the other thing is, um, on my grant, should it get funded, the PBRN will be the intermediary between me and all of the other sites. So the PBRN will help me coordinate all the IRB approvals, all the training of the investigators, the setup to make sure that all of our data collection forms and our um, the integrity of the data is all the same. The PBRN will help me set all of those things up so that it's consistent across the board. So the PBRN will kind of be my study manager for all of the sites, and I will oversee everything in general and oversee my own personal sites so that I don't have to oversee each of the sites personally. And so to do that, we've gone back and forth on several different things that we need for data collection and for budgetary reasons and, and things like that. But that will ultimately be the things that I will count on the PBRN to do for my study. Thank you, Kayla. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the IRB um, aspect of it as well. And this is something that I know that uh, both Nathan and Nicole um, have had experience with in, in the various projects that they've been engaged with the network. And so I'll turn to them now and ask both of them to tell um, a little bit about their experience uh, in a PBRN project um, and working with their own local IRBs and what types of support um, they receive from the PBRN to help navigate that process and ultimately how that kind of support um, impacted the, the ease of your participation in that study. Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. Sure. Um, and even before I get into the, the local IRB and those kind of issues, I think it's um, it was nice, I think, at the beginning, um, the PBRN requires um, a certain amount of IRB training, and I, they used the, uh, have used the city in the past, which is actually nice because UCSD also requires us to do the city training. Um, and um, so a lot of it was already completed, so you just for my other responsibilities. So that part was very easy, which I know that could be um, a major roadblock for somebody who hasn't done that training. But when it comes to actually working with my local IRB, UCSD is historically difficult to work with, and we've had many issues beyond just uh, any kind of study with the PBRN of, of other grants and research opportunities that we've been working on um, with some of my colleagues. It's, um, it, it can be very difficult. But anytime I've had issues or questions and I've called Rachel or emailed Rachel, um, she responds very quickly with the exact information that I need and what they're looking for, um, which um, even if a PBR, even through a PBR in study, when it's uh, approved by the um, initial IRB um, with the home institution or whoever the PI gets the the IRB approval from, the uh, unfortunately my local IRB basically, even though they use that information, I still have to complete the IRB process just as if it was my own project. So it makes it very difficult to gather a lot of the data. Um, uh, that they're asking for because I'm not the you know, I'm not the originator I'm not the PI, um, so un unfortunately my local IRB makes it very very difficult. But um, the the high the good part about it is is um, is Rachel and her staff are extremely quick and accurate in getting the the data and the information needed. 
Thank you, Nathan. We appreciate that that feedback. Um, Nicole, how about you? What what's been in like? What has it been like working with the PBRN and your local IRB for projects that you've collaborated on? Yeah. So our um, our IRB is is pretty reasonable. Um, what's nice about participating with any of the PBRN research is that um, you know, as was mentioned, that the 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 main um, IRB approval has already been um, approved, so you're able to utilize those forms to fill out your own IRB information. Um, our IRB has actually worked really well with us on um, being a, a site for these, um, and we were able to utilize the forms that are provided by the PBRN for the um, basically the coordinating site. IRB um, utilizing those forms to fill out our own information. So we also have to fill out, um, you know, all of our own IRB forms. So majority of the information is is the same from from my experience. So it's been pretty easy. We usually go back and forth a few times with the IRB, um, but for the most part, we haven't had to come to a point where our IRB has had to to speak with anyone else other than us to to get these types of studies approved. Thank you, Nicole. Well, I've got one last question uh, from myself for all of you, and um, we can just go uh, around the, the panel if you will, but I, I would like to hear from each of you, and more specifically like for you to share with our audience, uh, as you think about the different um, aspects of your collaboration and the, and the number of opportunities that you've collaborated with uh, the PBRN, whether as a clinician or an investigator, or in some cases both, what were the benefits that you found personally, professionally, scientifically, clinically, to collaborating with the network um, in those experiences? Heather, let's start with you. Um, I don't know that I can think of any that I haven't talked about because the, the only experience I've had has been with the grant besides doing some grant reviews um, for you guys. Um, you know, I think really just the just the organization and the the ease of communication, um, and just it it just felt like we had a really great. Well, we do have a really great team working on the grants um, once it gets funded. So I think feeling like there, there's that central location, that hub. You know, I I think of PBRN really as the hub of of the project and having all of the practices be so engaged is going to be incredibly helpful. Thank you, Heather. And maybe I should amend the question a bit to perhaps talk about what sort of advice, having been to this experience, would you give to um, others who are considering um, collaborating with the network? So as a researcher or as a clinician, you know, what, what are the benefits that you would like everyone to know about um, that you perceived and, and would think that would be helpful for others who are thinking about collaborating but haven't quite sure. yet. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think that PBRN is a great place to find collaborators um, in the first place, perhaps. If if you're a researcher or um, a clinician that wants to do research in a particular area and you just really don't know who out there is already doing it or you can maybe cover one piece with your expertise or your resources, but you know you, you need some collaborators, I think that PBRN could be a great place to go and find those collaborators. I think the, the PBRN's knowledge um, about federal funding sources and about the processes involved in applying to those funding sources is very key. Um, you could get there eventually on your own, but why take that time You know, when you can collaborate with people that are really already knowledgeable about what funding is available out there and how to best go about getting it. 
And then again, as, as for the grant that we wrote, and it sounds like some other people on the call have had this experience or been on the other side of it, is um, identifying and engaging practice sites, if that's the kind of study that you're doing. Um, practice sites where you can actually implement your study and have them be engaged in the research. Um, the PBRN is an amazing resource for that. And again, just using them as a central hub for implementing your study, for practice site recruitment, for making payments to practice sites, have your project manager be from the PBRN. I think everything would go much more smoothly and be a much stronger study. Thank you, Heather. Um, yep. Kayla, same question for you. Are benefits or pearls that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of the things that Heather said. Uh, I probably could have saved myself a little time in this process had I started with the PBRN earlier. So that would be something that I would add to is, you know, if it's something that you think you might like help on, get the PBRN involved right off the top. If you don't want to be in charge of any ideas and you have the capability to participate in one of the others, participate in one of those as a way to get your feet wet. Things have changed a lot from the very first study. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to participate since the first one except in my own, but things have changed a little bit and there's opportunities now to potentially be an author on the project or potentially, you know, receive payment for each patient collected. So there's some things that might be personal gains as well as professional networking opportunities that if you needed a reason beyond just the fun of doing research that you should check into to take advantage of now. And those things might not be available with every project, but I know that it's a little different than when I first started because those are becoming more commonly available as the PBRN grows and funding becomes more available and, and different things like that. So those would be my two pieces of advice. If you want to be in charge of your own study, get the PBRN started right away because like Heather said, you could do it all on your own, but why? You already have somebody that has the experience. And secondarily, if you don't want to be in charge, just get involved because there, it's a good way to network and to get your name out there with research participation in a way that's uh, a little bit lower pressure than being in charge of your own study. Thank you, Kayla. Nicole, how about you? What sort of benefits did you perceive um, or have you perceived and hopefully continue to perceive that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, so I think from a clinical standpoint, um, with minimal research background, especially when I first joined the PBRN, you know, I've learned something from each project I've participated in, um, whether it was from the IRB process um, for being a site PI or how to how to educate our um, colleagues at our institution on how they're going to collect data for for these studies. Um, and I've also been able to be a part of um, the feasibility surveys, which I I really haven't been prior to being involved with the PBRN, um, and uh, I had no experience with preparatory to research activities either. So I would say that you know my benefit has been to kind of learn a little bit more about research for every project that I've been um, involved with. Thank you, Nicole. Um, last but not least, Nathan. Um, I really think the only thing I could add is just really being able to expand your research capabilities and. Um, you know, to help demonstrate pharmacists impact in various settings and um, I mean, the collaboration, the, the networking opportunity that it brings um, has been has been great. Thank you, Nathan. 
Well, that is um, the, all of the questions that I have for our panel discussion today. Um, I'd like to open up the floor to see if there are any other final remarks or comments or questions that you all have that you um, would like to ask of our, our panelists or share with everyone before we um, conclude our session today. No, this is Heather. I think the main thing I would say is, um, you know, I realized um, I'm somewhat the odd man out with not being a pharmacist, a clinical pharmacist. And I think my first time I attended um, a meeting, I thought, well, you know, I remember seeing the PBRN and I thought I could get involved as a researcher. Um, but I really didn't take any steps to do that because I almost thought, well, I need to be the clinician to be in the PBRN. But I think I know that now it, that's not the case. You know, it, if, so if there are the researchers out there that are not actually clinicians, that really their job is to do the research um, and collaborate with clinicians, that the PBRN is still a phenomenal resource. So get involved how you can. Thank you for adding that, Heather. That's, that's an important point that we want um, definitely folks to understand is that we are very, very much interested and very much encourage both clinicians and researchers alike to not only collaborate with us but, but join the network and, and be a part of that, um, that large national network of individuals who are like-minded, have similar interests, um, and like many of you have already pointed out, it's an opportunity to, to network and get to know people um, outside of your individual institutions uh, who can share in the, um, the research process with you all. But, so thank you for adding that, Heather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Hi, this is Emma Webb um, with the ACCP staff. And I was just jumping in because I had a question I thought maybe many of our podcast listeners might be interested in. Um, we obviously have a lot of students um, who are members of ACCP and residents new practitioners. So I was wondering when would be the best time to think about starting to join the PBRN to um, be able to participate in in a full way. Um, I'm assuming based on all the descriptions that you really probably need to have um, access to your own patients. Um, but I thought it might be helpful for maybe some of our um, listeners who are maybe um, have not been out in practice as long um, to learn a little bit more about that. Nicole, I know you, you've been in, or, or Nathan too, I think you guys have been involved in projects where maybe some trainees have been involved. Could you maybe speak to that? Yeah, this is Nathan. Um, I, for all the projects that I've worked on, I've, I've worked with my students um, with the data collection and, and I haven't had them help me necessarily with the IRB, but have kind of gone over it as an example of, of something that, um, as an example, um, but have definitely used the students um, uh, to, to do some of the data collection. Of course, there's a very short period of time that the data is needed, usually not very short, uh, there's a short period of time that the data needs to be collected, and I only have the students for a short period of time. So typically um, that works fairly well as um, one of their projects that are given throughout their, their six-week rotation. So uh, it's definitely an easy way to kind of talk about research, especially those who might be interested in residencies. Um, and, you know, talking a little bit about the difference between, you know, what the PBRN offers versus what you would do during a residency project with, you know, limited time and um, not as much, maybe not as much access to, to some of the information. But, um, yeah, it's been, um, I, I think, a, a really easy platform to, to have those discussions about research. 
So, Nick, right, and I would, would, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just going to jump in and ask. So would you encourage um, students and residents in particular that if they're interested um, in learning more about the PBRN and participating, that the first step would be to talk to the faculty within their institution and their um, preceptors versus maybe joining the PBRN themselves? I think either way, I think if they're really serious about um, about the research and, and have a lot of self-drive, I think that it would be worth joining directly. Um, but a lot of times, in order to get access to a lot of the patient records, you, still, you need that approval level from a faculty or the pharmacist that, that's working at the site. Um, so uh, you probably have to have both. <laughs> um, but at minimum, working with a faculty or working with a pharmacist who is a member of the PBRN, is that, that's definitely, a, I, I think, I have to be. And I also think, this is Kayla, just to jump in and add to that a little bit. I also think if the student or resident is particularly driven and really interested in research, it's not a bad idea to go ahead and join and be looking at the ideas that come out. Sometimes you generally generate a lot of your own ideas just by reading what other people have done. So even just looking through and saying, hey, I think I just saw a patient that has that, and then approaching the faculty member and saying, I know I can't be the primary on this, but could I help you? If you, want, if you think we have the right patients, could I do the data collection for this project, even as a student or resident? Those that are really savvy or very interested in research may actually notice before their faculty or preceptor at the hospital a project that the site may actually have the patients to do that the preceptor didn't necessarily have time for. So even just to for students or residents to join to look at see what the ideas are they may actually see a project that they could be the data collector for for the faculty or preceptor just as a byproduct of watching what ideas come across oh i'm sorry i have one other question what about maybe new practitioners or practitioners who really have not been involved very much in research um is the PPRN, it definitely sounded from the previous conversation that maybe the PPRN is a great first step, but if you're not doing research within your own institution now um, as a way of, um, I can't remember who described it as getting your feet wet, um, and so is that something that you recommend for those people who maybe, you know, have been out in practice, maybe in a hospital um, somewhere that does not have um, a big tradition of research or doesn't encourage that as much as other institutions to join the PBRN to get more exposure, to get more practice, um, to kind of learn more of the ins and outs of how to do a, a, a big research study. This is Nicole. Um, I'd like to mention too, you know, I was a very junior clinician when I started and had minimal research experience, and that was exactly why I joined the PBRN, was to just kind of be on the emails, get exposure, see how I could get involved um, at a small scale in research and really learn from um, learn from these projects on how to eventually develop your own multi-center research study or just kind of learn what other types of study designs are out there because I think many of us in residency, um, because of the, the time restraints, um, really focus on 
more smaller retrospective studies and just kind of seeing how these point prevalence studies and multi-center research functions in a large network like this that you learn from it just by, again, being on the emails and participating in some of these studies as they come through. Thank you, Emma, for those questions, and thank you um, all for your answers. Uh, I think it brings up uh, a good time to draw this to a close, and I'd, I'd like to add that um, for those, whether you're a researcher or a clinician, or in some cases it's folks or both, uh, the way to join the PBRN is simply to complete our registration form, and you can find our registration form on the ACCP Research Institute website. That's www.accpri.org. Additionally, for as you, we, we just talked about students and, and resident trainees, for those individuals who um, don't already have their own practice or, or research site per se, but who are interested in research and want to be kept apprised of the different uh, opportunities and, and ideas floating around the PBRN, one of the best ways that I, I would recommend to do that, and in addition to um, keeping uh, tabs with your, your local faculty mentors, is to join the ACCP PBRN listserv. Uh, you can also do that on our main registration page. Um, so that would give you access to the emails that you've heard discussed uh, throughout this conversation today uh, that come out to the entire uh, membership. And that's a great way for folks to kind of stay apprised of, of what's going on within the network, whether it's feasibility assessments, uh, study recruitment, uh, gathering of, of investigator teams to develop a, a research proposal. Those are the types of opportunities that come out through those, um, those email blasts. And so um, I encourage folks uh, both to, to join the list, register for the PBRN, and, or if you just have general questions about um, what how you can get involved um, as any one of those individuals, I encourage you to contact our staff uh, directly via email at pbrn at accp.com. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.